Season 8, Episode 20 of the Tony G Show. That is this episode. Five left. Five left after today. No, today. Including today. Including. Well, no, 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 no. Because 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. So five after today. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. We're off to a hot start. All right. Yep. That's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. How was your Easter break, Will? It's good. Well needed. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. It How just seems yourself? like that weekend never goes slow enough. I know. It moves so fast. Yeah. I think it's seeing all the family and stuff. It just gets, you know, time moves way too quick. Because, you, you know, you'll build up to it. Mm-hmm. You want to get there. Yeah. And then, like, the days leading into break go so slow because you're ready for break. And then yep. it hits the break and you're like, oh, I can just relax. And then you blink and it's like Easter Sunday's over and you're like, I got to go back to school tomorrow. And then you have like 10 projects due the next week. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, there's that. I'm glad we had a good Easter break and we're back for today's Tony G show. Uh, I announced last Thursday when you weren't here, Will, uh, but you have heard about it since, that I will be hosting the Norby Awards. Mm-hmm. So this is an event that St. Norbert College the athletics department puts on every year. They haven't last year because of COVID and the year before 2020, I think it was virtual. So this is the first time in a couple of years they've held it in person. But this is the 10th annual Norby Awards and they have asked me to be the host, the MC. And so I look forward to doing that. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, we have the script, the show plan. I'm very excited for that. That'll be next Tuesday. Not today, nice. but next Tuesday. So that is something. I just released a couple of press releases or I guess posts on behalf of myself uh, saying that I will be, so I'm going even more public with that than just announcing it here on this public podcast platform that reaches millions of viewers. <laughs> public podcast platform. See, I had to say it slow. Yeah. I got it right. That's a tongue twister. But I said it. I said it slow. You did. But you I got said it. it right. Yeah. Whatever. Point made. Also, next week. Next week, Thursday. That will be season eight, episode number twenty-three. Mm-hmm. It is going to be a special episode. You and me, Will, are going to have a guest. Yep. And Matthew Swanson, our NFL draft expert. He's also our college football expert. We are going to bring him in and do a full episode just based on the draft because next Thursday is the NFL draft. So we're going to go through Packers top picks, maybe first three or four rounds, and then we're going to do um, maybe like the first 15 in the NFL draft. So we're going to have a fun episode yeah. uh, on that Thursday. <clears throat> so there will be that. Um, coming next week. But until then, we have today's Tony G Show. What are we going to be talking about, you asked? That's a great question, Will. Well, first off, we're going to be talking about Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year Award. Well-deserved. <laughs> yeah, really. Marcus Smart, the DPOY. Okay. Well, we're also going to be mashing that together with the NBA playoffs and what's happened so far, what's going to continue with the NBA playoffs. So a whole NBA discussion to lead the show off. Then second, we're going to be talking about the Green Bay Packers being from a Wisconsin market, and we're talking about them and their draft uh, next week. They just made a signing last Thursday that bolsters their wide receiver situation after the departure of Devontae Adams. I think they have a new number one as it stands right now, and that would be Sammy Watkins. So we're going to talk about how Sammy Watkins helps the Packers. And then to conclude the show, we are one week into the USFL And they are already proving that they are a joke. We'll talk about that to conclude the show. NBA playoffs, Sammy Watkins and the Packers, and then the USFL to close out the show. He's available at Willis5312. I'm at Tony G Nation. Follow us on social media, 
Go to TonyGNation.com for more of Tony G or the Tony G Show. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. We're cruising right along. Subscribe, comment. Well, you can to the Tony G Show. I don't know that I'm going to take any episodes down. And maybe I will. You know, the plan You're here, right. I don't know what my post-graduation plans are just yet, but the plan here is that once football season starts next summer, I'm going to rebrand the podcast and maybe come up with a new style and a new format and and just ride solo as a permanent. I think I'll do it weekly instead of bi-weekly mm-hmm. or instead of twice a week, just one episode every week and come up with episodes like that. It'll be a whole different rebrand. It won't be the Tony G Show. It'll be something different. I'm still in the planning phase of... What's next for me in the podcast world? But as for right now and what I do with the Tony G Show, including today's episode, there are only six episodes left that you and me will on this Tony G Show before things change forever and they will never be the same. (laughs) 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 Okay, let's swing into today's show. That's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. This is the Tony G Show. You are listening to the eighth and final season of the Tony G Show. Eight seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. So Marcus Smart is the Defensive Player of the Year in this season's NBA. Isn't that something? Marcus mm-hmm. Smart wins the DPOY by a long shot, too. I mean, he had over 50 votes ahead of uh, Michael Bridges, who finished second in the voting. So, I mean, he, he won it by a wide margin, and it wasn't even close. Uh, he is the first guard to do it since Gary Payton in 1996, the 95-96 season. And he is the first Celtic to win it since Kevin Garnett in, I believe it was 07-08. So, Marcus Smart is doing some firsts in a while in the NBA and in Boston. I have the voting results up here, and it's very surprising to me, these results. Some of the stats that you see in defense of Marcus Smart, I mean, it makes sense uh, when you look at it uh, this way. The Celtics allowed 106.2 points per 100 possessions this season. Um, But since January 1st, that number has fallen to 105.2. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of things in play here, stats-wise, as a team, as individuals, um, with uh, Marcus Smart and the Celtics. One thing that definitely did help this, though, is the fact that the Celtics finished with the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, going 27-7 and uh, down that key stretch to get them uh, to that manner. So, I mean, there's a lot of stats playing into it that gave Marcus Smart this award. But just looking, like I said, we have the voting results here. Smart took number one from Boston. You can say what you want about that. I mean, for me, a defensive player of the year award, especially in basketball, is there's an element of an eye test that that goes into it that Mm -hmm. isn't with like football. Football, it's easy. You just look at sacks. You look at you know the quarterback rushes. You just look at how much pressure a defensive player gets or interceptions or something like that. You just stats can tell the whole story for you in in football. Baseball, there's no real Defensive Player of the Year award. There's gold gloves, but that's just pretty much who has the cleanest fielding percentage and who has some of the best plays, highlight real plays. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's an element of eye test to it there, but stats can do it for you. In basketball, it's different because some of these stats, you know, per 100 possessions or per, 
you know, 45 or whatever. I mean, like there's a whole different slew of sets that you need that element of an eye test in a way it's not needed in other sports in order to award the defensive player of the year award. You know what I mean? Yeah, basketball stats are kind of interesting because you're right. There are these like little like niche ways to like twist the stats to kind of look and say, okay, well, who's really the better player? And it it gets so confusing. And you're right. It almost requires like just to witness that person's on-court presence. Yes. And that's why I don't get as mad when someone wins this award that I thought should have went to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not too upset at it. You know, we're from a Wisconsin market. We don't like to show bias here on the Tony G Show. But Giannis right. Antetokounmpo finishing about halfway mm-hmm. is shocking to me. I had yeah. him top three. You know, I'm not saying that he should have won the Defensive Player of the Year and he should be the MVP. But I thought the way he played defensively, especially down the stretch, if we're looking down stretches and we're comparing Marcus Smart to Giannis, Giannis had some huge blocks, had some huge moments. I always look back to that 76er game when he had that huge block of Embiid. And, you know, I mean, he's always making blocks. He's always a good defender. Um, Even on the perimeter, I mean, he can keep with his man well. And he's got the agility as the big man to stick with guys as a defender. So I Mm -hmm. always, that's the reason that, you know, Giannis won it a few years ago. That's the reason that you always slate Giannis in the top if he's performing at the level that he has this season. But the fact that he finished towards the middle of the pack, behind guys like Jaron Jackson, who is shocking to me, mm-hmm. even Bam Adebayo, I mean, I could see that out of Miami, but the two guys that I really thought would be in the top three was Giannis, uh, Rudy Gobert, and Michael Bridges. In that order is how I had them. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if any one of those three could rotate out. Gobert is a guy who's won it before as well. So the fact that Giannis finished way towards the bottom here is shocking to me. Only 58 total points, five first-place votes – Maybe guys are looking at different stats than I am, or I don't know. Marcus Smart had 37 first-place votes, which is a lot more than Michael Bridges, who had Mm -hmm. 22. So as I mentioned, Marcus Smart won it by a landslide. It wasn't just a close, narrow race. Will, I understand you have some stats as well that compare Marcus Smart to Giannis Antetokounmpo in the way that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Can you add any context to this argument? I know we just said that we aren't going to really dig into stats that much, but... Just for like surface level fans kind of looking at, you know, steals, blocks, and defensive rebounds, just to compare and just kind of frame up the confusion that at least that I would have. Um, I'm not, again, I'm kind of side with you where I really don't care that much. But Well, it's not, and that's the thing is that it's not necessarily not caring. It's just a, there's a different element to it yeah. that the people who vote on it must look at it in a way that is regular regular fans or you know people around the league must not look at it because there's right. definitely an element of eye test or something be I guess the point here something beyond stats mm-hmm. that prove that point but again back to stats that yeah. you have to compare Marcus Smart So to Marcus Smart uh only led one category over Giannis which was defensively um, defensively steals per game which was at 1.6 Okay um he Smart had a, a block block per game stat of 0.4 and then defensive rebounds of 2.8 per game. Uh, or excuse me, sorry, 3.8. 3.8 per game. And 0.3 blocks a game. Uh, when you compare that to Giannis, Giannis was sitting at, let's see here, 9.6 defensive rebounds per game. Wow. Uh, let's see here. 1.1 steals per game and 1.4 blocks per game. So a significant, you know, Smart blew him out with steals per game, but... I mean, really, Giannis has the majority of those categories over Marcus Smart. So it's a little interesting. And again, it only it bodes to your point that it could be that the Celtics finish second. 
I think that played a huge and role. And a strong team. Yeah. And that's going to bring up another argument I want to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. But also, there, there's got to be that third thing that they look at beyond just those. And obviously, those three stats aren't going to encompass their total defensive play. Right. But those are pretty important stats to be to be a lock for defensive player of the and year. And there's, there's something to be said about You're right. They're important stats, and I'm not in any way degrading the importance uh, and emphasis on those stats. But it's also there's something to be said about the element of those stats because we're talking about decimals of difference mm-hmm. in some cases. And so that can be also hard to analyze and yeah. critique. So you do, like I said, there is something beyond stats that has given Marcus Smart this award. Do I think that Mark, I, you know, I didn't have Marcus Smart in my top three for DPOY. Mm-mm. I'm not, like I said, I, it's, it's not that I don't care. It's just that there is something different that there's no reason for me to be mad at this. I am a little surprised that he won it by this much. Gobert is a guy that I always tab as a top defender in the league. Giannis as well. He had a great, you know, and I, I said this, so there's no point in beating a dead horse here, but I'm a little surprised that Smart won it by this much, 257 points, compared to the 202 of Michael Bridges in second. And those were the only two over 200. Rudy Gobert had 136. So, I mean, there was something Marcus Smart did that attracted the attention of voters to him and give him that amount of first place votes. And it surprises me mm-hmm. that... He got this first place, and he won the DPOY. But, you know, he's always been a good player. He's always been solid and consistent for the Celtics and someone who I think plays a lot into what Boston does as a franchise. Boston is a scrappy team that even though they started, what, what do they start, 23 and 24 before going 27 and 7? It's like they have guys like Tatum and Brown that especially paired with Smart, even over the years of Al Horford, it's like these guys are the scrappiest mm-hmm. team that there is, especially in the Eastern Conference. You know, other teams win based on their talent or based on the fact that they can shoot, but Boston is a team that will ground and pound you and really try to wear you down defensively as well. So Smart plays right into that and is one of the huge reasons that they went on that 27-7 and tear. And to your point, too, it, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I think Marcus Smart was guarding Kyrie game one, and I think he let Kyrie drop nearly 40 points, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. So lucky that that's not a... That the their air quotes supposed to look at only regular season stats. Right, right. We don't know if that's necessarily true. And a question I want to ask you, and I know we're not we're trying to stay on defensive player of the year, but pivoting to MVP here, if we're looking at, you know, regular season performance mm. as a team as being a main factor as to who is determined to be the winner of that award, what does that say for Jokic? Because they're sitting at sixth right now. See Milwaukee's is, at third, yep. and if that's really that important, because there has to be something else besides steals, blocks, and you know, d- and defensive rebounds, and defensive player of the year, and if we're assuming that it's how good that team is, that puts Giannis way above Jokic. Well, even beyond those two, you know, Jokic and Giannis, there's Embiid with the 76ers, yep. there's even, you know, you can make the argument for Curry and the Warriors, who had a great year, who yep. are off to a blazing start in the playoffs, which we'll talk about in a moment. But you're right, there is something to be said about how teams are doing. And a lot of people are slating Jokic to the top because of the, the type of player that he is. It's The thing with Jokic, and what, when I watch his game, it's different from other contenders because it's not otherworldly. You know, like when you watch a LeBron or you watch a Curry and you watch a Giannis, it's like these guys have that next level. Yeah, they're 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 all stars, you know, and that's probably like the top level just for the sake of this argument of NBA talent is like all star. But then there's that next tier 
of like otherworldly players. And I don't know. Jokic is a great player. I don't yeah. want to take that away from him. I'm not trying to make that argument. But I don't know that he has that element of world beater, of, of otherworldly, where it's like he's on the court and he has that much of a presence. Right. He is impactful to the game. He is talented and he is great at the sport. But he's not someone that absolutely garners that attention from a Yeah, he, he's not a... <clears throat> This is hard to say, but he's not like a player that will absolutely alter the the environment on that court. Yes. And he is an MVP caliber player. He is really, really good. Don't get not me wrong. Not taking that away from him, yeah. And you also have to consider the fact that he doesn't have a big three. I know Giannis technically doesn't have a big three, but Drew and, and Chris Middleton and that that's, whole squad is very, that's very a good solid. Cast. Yeah. Um, but man, watching, and I know we're not, not technically supposed to include the postseason, but the Warriors look like they're the Harlem Globetrotters out there. I was just going to mention that. We're going to talk about that in a second. They look, they look good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, good. But uh, to your point, I mean that that has to be something that's considered in this Defensive Player of the Year conversation, because I just don't, especially for Bridges and his sake too. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. So that kind of counteracts that because the Suns are the best team in the in the NBA. Yep. So. Maybe that's not a factor. Who knows? I don't. I'm not as confident in my picks for MVP. You know, I had, I had uh, Giannis one. Mm-hmm. I had Jokic two. I had Chris Paul three, and I think I had Embiid four. I think I had Curry five. In fact, I don't think I say that because you know I'm kind of unconfident in those picks after seeing how the Defensive Player of the Year award played out. But I, I know that those are my top five. Now I'm not as confident in that because mm-hmm. I thought Giannis would be higher towards the top in DPOY. So if I'm thinking that Giannis is going to be the top of the top in MVP voting, well, how wrong do I get that then? Right, right. So if I am removing, if I am looking at this objectively, and I am looking at this without my picks in mind, I almost, I, I almost think they're going to give it to Jokic again. Yeah, and I, I really could see... One of those like Steve Nash type of scenarios where it's like, how oh. in the heck? Yeah. And Kyrie sneaks in an MVP. Yep. Or not Kyrie. Wow. Yeah. Chris yeah, Paul. Sorry. I get what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Chris I get Paul. what you were saying. I could see that happening with the their Suns being as good as they are. Yeah, I could really see. Year. Yeah. I mean, I I could really see that being a scenario that I, that would legitimately play out. You keep mentioning, you know, you misspoke and mentioned Kyrie, but it's because yeah. we're transitioning to him now mm-hmm. because over the weekend. Game number one, Nets Celtics, was a very good and very close game all the way through. Mm-hmm. Celtics took it, uh, took game one, one fifteen to one fourteen in Boston, and Kyrie absolutely was eating it from the <laughs> the Boston crowd. Boston's brutal, dude. Boston is a brutal atmosphere, and it was to the point where it was really getting on Kyrie Irving, and you could see it. You know, he's a former Celtic coming back to Boston to play in the playoffs. You could see that it was starting, like the crowd was going Mm -hmm. to absolutely eat at him that entire matchup. So I think it finally got to him. I actually don't think. I keep saying that. I think. I know that it got to him for a fact. Because what he did was he started flipping off, like middle finger, like bird, (laughs) flipping off the Boston crowd. He did it, I think it was on three separate occasions. And there was one occasion that isn't flipping off, but there was one occasion where he's walking back to the locker room right as he's walking in. Someone says, Kyrie, you suck, or whatever. Just, you know, chirps him. 
And Kyrie responds uh, with some obscenities. I can't say it here. I mean, I probably can because we're not filtered, but I filter the show by choice, so I'm not going to say. Say it. (laughs) (laughs) Peer pressure from Will McCormick. I'm not going to say what he said, but it was of obscene nature. And it was really starting to get to Kyrie. You could see that throughout the entire atmosphere of the event and the fact that they lost, uh, the Nets did with Kyrie, only fed into this. So, after, you know, and there was occasion where he's standing on the sideline and, and fans are shouting to him, and he does this thing where he, like, itches the back of his head with yeah. both hands, but it's like a sneaky flipping off of the fans behind him who are chirping him. So this was the kind of back and forth between Kyrie and the fans. What has happened since just came out about 20 minutes before we started recording. So I was glad we are able to fit this into the show in the context of what we're talking about right now, is Kyrie was fined $50,000 for all of those obscene gestures. I love that. That's, in my opinion, that is so, so worth the money. Yeah. I would do it again. <laughs> <laughs> if you're Kyrie. You're yeah, dude. I would. Oh, it's so funny. I, I just, this is the favorite part about basketball. Yeah. I love this. See, this I can get behind. You know, I, can, I don't even mind Kyrie doing that. I get that you're a professional and you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So maybe the flipping off and the obscenities were kind of too far. And I get the, the for the reason of the fine. But I like him not crumbling you know with Mm -hmm. Russell Westbrook when he get and this is a problem all over the NBA LeBron has said this too where it's like you know fans are getting a little too raucous with how they chirp well listen if it's within the guidelines of chirping you know if it's not obscenities at the family or or life you know we've seen that a lot especially Mm -hmm. when someone does wrong in a big game and then they're you know getting death threats and stuff like that that's obviously a step too far but if it's just basic chirping and if it's trying to get into your head the fans have every right to do that. And the NBA is the only sport where the players are trying to garner change in that aspect. Which is weird because that is that is the literal advantage of playing at home. Yeah. That's exactly. You're trying to... Li- Listen, you are a professional athlete. You are supposed to be able to take that. You are supposed to... And listen, I'm not yelling. This isn't me getting on Kyrie. I, I like the fact that he was trying to give it back to Boston, you know, a team he used to play for, city that used to have his jerseys all over the place. And I don't mind him giving it back. I think he did a little too far, like I said. Yeah. But it's not, you know, this is more towards like the Russell Westbrooks or the LeBron James, where it's like you guys have to grow thick skin. You are a professional in one of the most watched sports in the country, and you are telling me that you can't take a little on the road atmosphere, some chirping. Get it? If it's too far, it's too far. And there have been occurrences yes. like that. You know, throwing stuff at players, you know, that's not that's, that's not, right. not right. But if it's just chirping, you know, there was an occasion, I forget the player who it was, but there's an occasion where a fan is on the railing, like uh, like he is the last fan and then it's railing and then there's a drop mm-hmm. into where the players walk into the locker room. And a fan is like waving goodbye to a player. Nothing egregious, nothing over the top. And the player takes, I think he had a towel or a jersey, or maybe it was yeah. in his hand, and he took a swing, tried to slap at him. Yep. And it's like, you know. Those Grizzlies, Grizzlies. Just, yeah. Just shut up and go back to the locker room, man. Mm-hmm. There's no need for that. If you want to give it back to him and chirp at him, you know, all right. You know, if you want to give him a little, you know how much I made for this game, or something like that. You know, okay, then it's chirping. Go for it. But if you're going to take a full-on swing, dude, it's like, get over yourself. It, just go to the locker room. It's such an interesting point, because you don't see unless my memory is not serving me right, we really don't see NFL players, you know, taking swings at fans. There is one occasion. I think it was Josh Norman where he was getting chirped at oh. and he went up 
okay. uh, to yep. the fan and things got a little ugly. Yep. I think that happens at least once a year, but it's not the level that it happens at the end. Like the NBA, it seems so frequent. I mean, yeah. you had you know Aaron Rodgers saying, I own you, but that's just chirping back. Like Exactly. That's Love like one that. of those things, like if you dish it out, you better expect it back. Exactly. And that's just the nature of chirping, and I think anybody can respect that. Yes. Um, But it is an interesting point. And to that point as well, Man, this is going to be an interesting series when this goes to Brooklyn. Like, it could be loud. Yeah. Like, I'm excited to watch. I think this is a good transition point, talking about what's to come mm-hmm. in the NBA playoffs. Because looking at this first round, you know, we're about a game into every series. I mean... Holy moly. You can see some of the teams that are next level. Like, you just... Like, I know. Mm-hmm. I, we're a game into every series, and I know which teams are going to advance. Yeah. Like, you just see it in the way that these games are played. The Warriors are one. The 76ers are one. The Heat is another team. The Suns are, of course, another team. And I'd even put the Bucks up there, because they were holding their own for the better part of three quarters until... Um, just kind of fell apart. But yeah, until the Bulls started to eat back into it. And that game wasn't, you know, the final score deficit didn't do the justice to how in control the Bucks were that entire The Bulls game. are a solid team, too. Yeah, don't, don't, absolutely. Get, don't get us wrong. But that's just, you know, that's my point is that these teams are next. So you said it, and I think it's a perfect way to look at it, is that the Warriors look like the Globetrotters. I mean, the game that Jordan Poole had the other day, not to mention they have Steph Curry. I, I mean, I'm not even going to eat into some of the roster names that they have on that team because it's like they're the Warriors. Man. Yeah. I mean, they just look next level. They look hungry for another championship after resurrecting from rebuild mode a few seasons ago. So and you that, can just see that some of these teams look a bit different moving forward. And that just plays back into that whole conversation about, you know, DPOI and MVP. It, yeah. Jokic, I mean, man, he looked helpless out there. I mean, he got, he got teed up. He was out. He mm-hmm. got ejected. Yeah. And that just, I mean, that just plays back into that whole conversation. Like, I, I don't know. That, the Nuggets have a lot to figure out, and they don't seem like one of those teams that have that kind of it factor. Yeah. Which Jokic should be as an MVP. It surprised me. One, one series that did surprise me in game one, uh, Timberwolves beating up on the Grizzlies mm-hmm. by, I mean, they scored 130 points in that game. That was a game that surprised me, I think, the most because, you know, I mean... Warriors. I think 76ers beating up on the Raptors was kind of surprising, but you knew the 76ers were the team that are probably going to come out of this series. But like yeah. I said, we're a game into just about every series, and you can see, you can see who's going to move on. Mm-hmm. I think this Boston, uh, Brooklyn Boston matchup is probably the most exciting. Yeah, just because considering the rivalry that those that one's two places probably have. draw the most ratings. Um, but man, this is gonna be a great playoffs to watch. Well, I, I'm expecting a lot of game sixes, game sevens, even yeah, in this first round. I would think so. Uh, it's a lot more exciting than you know the Bucks taking on the Pistons a few years ago, and it was like, well, right? <laughs> you know, you just kind of like, okay, I yeah, know I'm what's not gonna happen here. But I don't know about you, but I'm not like this series is not by any means over. There's a lot of games we played Absolutely. yet. Absolutely, yeah. None of these series. I mean, all these series have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially now that they're all seven games. I mean, it's like you you have to play all the way through. Right. I don't like – we have about a minute here before I want to move on and transition. I don't like how long the playoffs take in the NBA. Let me explain. You know, it's not that I'm saying that they need to speed it up. It's just – I think there are scheduling conflicts that could be avoided. The fact that we're starting in late April and it's going to run all the way through May into early June. You mean to tell me – that there is no way to speed up this process. Okay, let's look at the 
the uh, Bulls and Bucks series. Game one played on Sunday. Game two is not going to be played until Wednesday. It's two days off in between. Right. Then they won't play game three until Friday. That's only a day off in between. And then game four is Sunday. It feels to me like if we do the baseball thing where we get game one on Sunday, game two on on uh, on Monday, maybe even game three on Tuesday, you take a day, maybe two off, and you play again on Friday. And then you play through the weekend. It's like, is there is, and then if it goes to a game seven, then you can just extend it out to midweek, put it in prime time. There's no way to avoid that. We have to give two a day, two days in between every single game of the series. I mean, put them together. They're mm-hmm. professional athletes. They can take it. I get that all season long they kind of have that stretch where they go on like a, a day off, two days off, maybe even three days off. But it's like, come on, this is playoff time. Let's right. get the show on the road. Let's combine these series into a week, maybe a week and a half, and let's get moving here. You you have to wonder if it's maybe a kind of thinking injury injury-wise, you know, going that far into the season – and having that many games left to play is a lot. I guess. And so and so maybe yeah. there's that to consider. That's but, a good point. But I get your point. Like maybe in the beginning you kind of condense it just to make it because it does feel like this drags on forever. Yes. I mean the championship Absolutely. went. I don't even know when the Bucks. You know when they won. I forgot. It was well into summer. Yeah. You know well. Well that yeah that one uh, didn't they take some time off because of COVID too? Oh that you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, and they they won uh, in July. Uh, I do think it was different because I think yeah that's what it was. They had the 2020, the bubble, mm-hmm. that took into fall. Oh, And then they, yeah. they had a delayed start to give players some months off and didn't start until 2021. That's right. It was kind of a weird... And moved the season back, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even if it wasn't, I mean... You, point remains, it, it felt very long. If The point remains that... Let's wrap this up here. There's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could wrap this up in late May, maybe leak into early June with a Game 6 or Game 7. But the fact that we're going to leak into a week and a half, two weeks of June... Let's wrap this up here. Mm-hmm. Let's schedule this a different way. That's just me going old man shaking fist at the sky type of deal here. So we'll move on from that. I think we had a great basketball discussion. It's interesting to see how the rest of the playoff season will play out in the National Basketball Association. But moving from one sport to another, we're going to stick with football for the rest of the episode. Two different leagues in football, NFL and then USFL. We'll stick with the NFL. Sammy Watkins, the wide receiver, is now a Packer. And the way that the... Depth chart sits now. I would imagine that Sammy Watkins is the new number one uh, wide receiver for the Packers heading into draft season. We do have a breakdown. He signed it on the scope. The former Raven and former Chiefs signed the one-year $4 million contract on Thursday, last Thursday. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have more information uh, on this this contract that he signed with the Packers. Do you want to go through this, Will, or should I do this where – Right, um, so all the different nuances. You're the finance guy. I'll let you right. take this. Uh, all the different nuances and and uh, what this contract is probably going to be worth for Watkins. Right. So initially, I think reported by Domofsky or somebody it tweeted, you know, saying it was a one year, four million dollar deal. That was kind of the yep. the blanket to cover how much it was going to be, which is relatively cheap for a wide receiver, especially in this market. Yeah. Um, and then Domofsky tweeted a, a couple hours ago. Um, Packers ESPN reporter says. Sammy Watkins' contract indicates he's no lock to make the Packers roster. So kind of, you know, saying that the Packers gave him a deal to incentivize him to work towards sticking on the roster. That's it's interesting to me that this yep. free it's he's probably going to make the roster, but right. I think they're preparing for if he doesn't show out in the three preseason games or if he gets hurt or something like that, the Packers have room to 
find another wide receiver. Yep. They don't get locked in the Ron 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 Funches, the comedian. They don't get locked in the Devin Funches type of deal where they sign a guy for two years and he doesn't play a single snap because of yep. injury and because he just chose to uh, sit out because of COVID. So exactly. And so Demofsky gives a breakdown here. So he's getting a signing bonus of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which I would wish I'd get for my job. <laughs> for real. Um, his base salary is one point one two million. He's got a roster bonus of about twenty grand per active game. Wow. A workout bonus of fifty thousand and then so that totals out to about one point eight five million. So that's leaving that difference between four million and one point eight five of incentives that we really don't know what they are, but basically, you know, pushing Watkins to work towards or, you know, do his best to remain healthy. Um and to be able to play those games. So it really interesting. Um and it, that's actually kind of a better deal for us than straight up four million. That's kind of saving our rear ends in case he does end up getting injured, which he does have a, a history of in, in the past. A guy who is going to be twenty nine years old by the start of next season. Younger than than Devontae. That's true. By about a year or so. A guy who's had thirty four touchdowns in his career, the most of which came with nine in Buffalo in two thousand fifteen. He did he put eight on the board uh, for the Rams in 2017, and then he's been a Chief and a Raven ever since. He spent one year with the Ravens last year where he had 27 receptions, 394 yards, uh, totaling about 14.5 per game for a touchdown, one single touchdown for the Ravens last year. Now, remember, they did have some quarterback problems. Lamar Jackson was out with uh, some injuries. They do have bigger names like Hollywood Brown on the mm-hmm. roster as well. But here in Green Bay, Sammy Watkins is, as it stands now, the number one wide receiver. Yeah. Does this mean that the Packers are going to go draft someone in the draft? Draft a wide receiver in the draft. I'm still leaning towards no because we always do this where we mm-hmm. sit here and we say the Packers are going to take a wide receiver in the first round. It didn't happen in 2019 when we thought it would. or didn't happen in 2020. didn't happen in 2021. The Packers just do not invest in first-round wide receivers. There's a lot on the board. It's a wide receiver-heavy draft, but I still would not be shocked if it took until – one of those two second-round picks for the Packers to opt for a wide receiver. And I don't want to expand on this too much because our draft specialist will probably definitely be touching on this. Matthew Swanson our, next yep, Thursday. During our draft special. But yep. this really does shake up the, the whole draft right now for Green Bay. I mean, for a while, I agree with you, it was kind of like they you would think they need to take a wide receiver, but yep. could totally see them not doing that. That'd be a Green Bay thing to do. And now it's really kind of putting pressure on you know, not not leaning that way, really. And what what I believe is going to happen, and I think Matt's in the same boat, but we'll see if he changes his opinion by next Thursday. Um, I see them trading up for some sort of offensive lineman, whatever's mm-hmm. the best in their scenario, and then hoping that somebody falls at 28. I also don't want to indulge too much on this because we're going to have a draft special next Thursday, as I've been mentioning, with NFL draft expert Matthew Swanson, also our college football expert. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say this now while we're talking about it. I would be shocked if the Packers took someone with all four of those picks in the first two rounds. I would be absolutely shocked because it is the Packers' M.O. Mm-hmm. to trade out of spots. Yep. The team gives them a call when you know they're a pick away from making their selection, mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, we'll take those two third-round picks for this first round, and then they always delay their picks. I would hit the floor if they yeah. made all five of their picks in the first three rounds. It'll be interesting. They have some huge holes to fill too. And I, and I know yes. this is a Sammy Watkins discussion, but Tanyan's no, he's, he's not a lock. You know, he's got a knee injury. 
That did happen early on in the season, but he had one good season so far, and that's all we can really kind of hold on to. Mercedes Lewis is 40 years old. He's a really good player, really dependable, but he's just getting up there in age. You're going to have to find somebody behind him. Um, Deguara. Deguara is hard to say. Yeah, I'm not bought into him. Not yet, anyways. He hasn't had a real shot yet. So there's a lot of holes they need to fill. Their O-line, I mean, Bakhtiari is huge. You know, he, he played a few games and fluid kept filling in his knee. If that continues, that's a big problem. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And that's why I, I do feel that this Sammy Watkins acquisition is really going to free up their ability in terms of maybe the press. I don't know if I don't know if Watkins is the solution. We'll, we'll find out midseason if he is or not. Um, but this is probably going to give the Packers the door to take an offensive lineman in the first round. And not to mention, it, we have mentioned it actually in this segment, but just to reiterate, that this is a team-friendly deal. I mean, mm-hmm. the Packers have a Very. lot of room if Watkins gets injured or if he you know, has something where he can't play or he gets yep. injured halfway through the season and he only plays seven games. This still leaves the Packers some room financially mm-hmm. and roster-wise to try to do anything they can to recuperate for any of the potential losses that might occur if Sammy Watkins is unable to participate in a full 17-game season mm-hmm. and then playoffs if the Packers indeed get there. Yeah. So we'll leave the conversation there. Going from one football league to another, we are one week into the USFL, and they are already proving that they are a joke. (laughs) Three problems that I'm going to mention just among a slew of problems that the USFL has already had. Uh, Problems with footballs because of the first down technology. There's a chip in the football that tells you whether it's a first down, whether they've hit that marker, whereas the NFL still uses chains. God forbid they don't. Switch everything to technology. Right. You know, the USFL had to go do that. And so there's problems with the footballs now and inflations and this and that and whatever with the footballs. Not to mention, it's just underwhelming play. I mean, that was to be said because it's not the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that level of, of play for football. But there is that aspect that it's just not as good a football right. kind as of the NFL. Similar to the XFL where it's just like, a little bit underwhelming just because yes. there's not that talent there. I think underwhelming is the perfect word for it because it's like, all right, football. And then you watch and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. well. And then this third problem <laughs> that I think is worth expanding upon further. Davion Smith was cut for wanting pizza instead of chicken salad. <laughs> no, that's not a typo. Will didn't put that in the document to try to throw me off. That is true. Pittsburgh, uh, Mahler's head coach, Kirby Wilson, cut the running back because of, uh, quote, disrespectful behavior. You know, there was a whole segment on Twitter because of it. Um, You know, there's this documentary going out from the USFL or Mm -hmm. whatever. I don't know. I'm not paying too much attention to it. But there was a clip where it showed Wilson having the discussion with Smith saying that you have violated disrespect or respect um, protocols that we have on this team and we're going to let you go and cut. So basically what this is, um, was Davion Smith asked a hotel worker in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where the league plays, if they served pizza instead of chicken salad. Now, I don't know what the context is that they're only serving chicken salad. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the context is that Davion Smith like thinks. I wonder if they have pizza back there instead of salad. Like That's just too stark contrast of foods from each other that I just wouldn't be able to fathom being like, huh, well, maybe they have pizza back there instead of this, <laughs> this salad. Right. And the fact that, you know, and I'm not criticizing because I think Smith said something that he doesn't like salad or he can't, he can't eat salad. I don't know what it was. But the fact that a professional player is asking for pizza instead of a salad is a little, uh, you know, ironic as well. 
But, you know, with all that aside, here's what happened. So when the worker replied with Smith asking for a pizza, the worker replied something along the lines of asking if it was a problem that they didn't serve pizza. And Smith said yes and walked away. As if to say, yes, it's a problem and walked away. There was nothing else said. You know, I don't know whether the tone he said it was disrespect. I don't know if he said it with some attitude, but there was no, you know, gestures. There was no swearing or cursing. He just said, yes, that's a problem and walked away. Matter of fact, I don't even know if he had the salad or if he just starved that night, but I don't know what happened. But that's it. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so for Kirby Wilson to just go on this full on power trip and be like, I'm going to release this guy. You got to be kidding me. I mean, and there's been some stuff come out. Wilson reached out after the fact and said, you know, I'd vouch for your character and your career moving forward. And Smith pled his case. There was a statement released by the Pittsburgh Maulers. And he's, he's replied to those, by the way. Yeah. So he's got two. So you got those with three tweets. Yeah. Okay. Three tweets by, uh, Smith and says, first tweet says, what rule did I break? Now you're lying on my name with a thousand question marks after it. Say less. The next tweet says, three team rules. And then the third tweet says, they're really just putting out a lie. Y'all really should be ashamed of y'all selves. Another question, who released this video? Well, see, this was the doc. This was the documentary that the USFL is putting together for their first week of being, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's going to subscribe to watch that or, or whatever, but that's where it came from. Is this a marketing ploy? Mm. See, there's always that question. I think Smith's passion in his tweets sells it to me as a real event. And I watched that documentary clip on Twitter and, you know, that they sold this to me that this is real. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a ploy to get some attention around the USFL. Also, I think there's no need to get more attention around the USFL. They've been advertising it for a year now. Fox has been the main carrier of it. It's a joke of a decision to release the guy for this. This reason and your disrespect, I mean, pull him in and be like, you know, I mm-hmm. thought, you know, get some more context on it and be like, I don't know if this was the right thing, thing for you to say. We're going to penalize you. But just to release him, I mean, that's just right. a joke of a decision in a joke of a league that is going to fold soon. All right. Every <laughs> single football league that tries to compete with the NFL without a doubt Folds. Yeah. The American the, Alliance of Football or whatever, the AAF, the XFL, the USFL. Well, hey, the U- XFL is going fold again. The NFL has a complete monopoly style stronghold on the game of football in this country. Apparently, the XFL is coming back, Tony. And I'm going to counteract my point, too. I, yeah, that's true. I've heard I, that. Yeah. I don't really think this could be a marketing ploy. I, if it were the XFL, I would be all in on that. Yeah. You know, scripted football? Let's see it. <laughs> yep. But I don't know. It'd be kind of weird... I could see, you know, Smith taking a money to put out these tweets or whatever, and maybe it's fake, and I'm not saying that it is, because I I believe that this is legitimate, and this was something that was not right by the Maulers, but I don't see a team, you know, agreeing to do this. That puts a lot of slander on their name going through these terrible actions. And See, but that's the thing. It wouldn't surprise you if it was fake. I, I don't know, Tony. Our bird's real. It's a joke of a league. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a joke of a league. I mean, it's going to fold. I mean, yeah. quit trying to test the NFL. I mean, it's, you're just throwing money down a rat hole mm-hmm. from a business perspective. There is no chance you take on the NFL. I'm sorry. You know, we live in a capitalistic society where everybody has the opportunity to try and make the most out of their professional and business opportunities. And mm-hmm. I get it, but this is like this is the NFL. I mean, yeah. this is like David versus Goliath times a thousand because the Goliath is the NFL. The, 
you know, with the famous quote from the movie, they own a day of the week and they literally do. Yeah. And now they're expanding to Mondays and Thursdays. And it's like, you just cannot compete with the style of product. I like the idea of making a league for football players where, you know, they're in a professional environment. Mm-hmm. I think the NFL should do something where they fund that, you know, almost like a G League or almost like a, a the yeah, minor league which system. which they're doing with the XFL, apparently. They're partnered with the XFL. See, that I can get behind. You know, giving players an outlet to improve their skills and still chase down their dreams mm-hmm. of playing in the NFL and getting paid for it. Not at that hefty sum that you would get in the NFL, but still having that chance to play professional football and work your way into the NFL if that's indeed what you want to do. But to test the NFL as a competitor, right? that's just the wrong move. It's just the wrong move. I'm yeah. sorry, but you, it is. You wonder, and I think I know the answer to this, but as a player, you have the opportunity to be a average at best player of the NFL. Say average to bad. So like bad. Okay. You're just barely making the roster. Yep. Barely making the 53-man roster. Or you could go to the USFL and be one of the best players in the league. I wonder, because I'm, I'm, I'm never in that never going to be in that situation, but I wonder if I had that option, if I would choose to be in the NFL purely just because it's the NFL, or if I would choose to go to the USFL, I would assume that most people would choose the NFL. I think so. So you have marginal talent that would be really good in the USFL just choosing to be in the NFL because it's that way, and for that reason, the USFL is always going to have subpar talent. Yeah. It's going to be like college football, but a little bit worse. Correct. It is what it is. And, you know, it's that platform for players who – Maybe didn't earn their way onto an NFL roster with their NFL or uh, their college football careers, but it's the opportunity to mm-hmm. continue to hone in your skill and try to play the sport you love for as long as you can. And that I'm all for. Yeah. But competing against the NFL is just a bad move. Right. You're not going to sell me on it. I'm not going to be a fan of any USFL team, whether you come to my market or not. I don't care. You're not going to do picks of the week on it. I don't care. It's not the NFL. No picks of the week. No, no picks of the week for the USFL. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it on the yeah. Tony G show at length because it's not the NFL. You're just not going to compete yeah. at that level. As a company, it doesn't work. I can I see the benefit for the players, and I there will be players that will come out of this yeah. in the NFL. That's for sure. But for sure. Well, I guess we'll conclude it there. Mm-hmm. Another episode in the books, Will. We only got five left now. It's crazy. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Good one, though, next Thursday. I'm looking forward to that. Next Thursday. Yeah, way to just skip over this Thursday and next Tuesday. <laughs> but let's go right to <laughs> Now that we do have a good episode planned... Uh, that Thursday, we're going to have an episode Thursday and Tuesday leading into that draft special um, on Draft Thursday, the mm-hmm. 28th. So keep tuned. Stay tuned. Keep tuned. Keep in touch. All the above. Yeah. Just, you know, Tony G Show, Tony G Nation, Will McCormick. I guess that's it. Yeah. Very underwhelming end of the show. My fault. My fault. <laughs> that just happens. <laughs> All right. Way to save me, Will. That's yep. Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. It's the Tony G Show. We'll see you on Thursday.